very good afternoon and welcome to St. Martin the Fields and welcome to Great Sacred Music, a special welcome to those joining us online. Christianity and Judaism have a very profound understanding of the otherness of God, uh, that the way in which God has an infinite qualitative difference from creation, as it's sometimes put by theologians. Uh, that creates a bit of an issue if God is then going to communicate with human beings. How can that be done? Well, a significant way that it emerges in the course of the Old Testament is through the communication of angels. Uh, but the theology of what angels actually are and how they function is somewhat underdeveloped. We get a notion of angels as being the heavenly host, host meaning a warlike company, uh, the idea that, the, that this is the life of heaven, God is surrounded by angels. Uh, that's expanded to the notion of saints later in the Old Testament and into the New Testament. We also get the sense that those angels are sent on missions, particularly in the book of Revelation. We get warlike angels led by Michael that we'll come to in a few moments' time. Um, and then we get these individual angel messengers Gabriel, most obviously, who comes to meet uh, Mary in the Annunciation, uh, and then obviously comes to Joseph as well to persuade him that Mary being pregnant is a good bit of good news rather than a piece of bad news. Uh, the problem is, though, what do you do with angels once the communication between God and humanity is clearly identified in Jesus and then subsequently in the Holy Spirit? Do we see angels as a sort of parallel means of communication to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, or do we see them in some ways displaced and fulfilled by the description of, of Jesus and the Holy Spirit? I tend to take that latter view, that, that we can see all the description of angels in the Bible as a kind of proto-theology that emerges in the Trinitarian idea of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You've got half an hour to reflect on that before we reach a conclusion at the end of uh, Great Sacred Music today. We're going to start, as we always do at uh, Great Sacred Music, by singing a hymn together, Bright the Vision That Delighted. In this case, if you haven't got one of these sheets to find uh, the words on the inside page, you can find one if you're in the building in the center aisle. Um, the author was the Bishop of Connor and Down in the days when the Church of Ireland had hundreds and hundreds of dioceses, well, slight exaggeration, but more diocese than it needed, I think it's fair to say. The, ch the tune is by a 19th century organist of what became known as All Saints Margaret Street, just up the road, just off o Oxford Street, uh, just, sorry, just off Regent Street, uh, very close by here. Now, here's your quiz question. In, in line two of the hymn, we start with Bright the Vision That Delighted, then once the sight of Judah's seer, Answers on a postcard for who Judah's seer is. I challenge anyone to know the answer to that. The answer is Isaiah, because actually as you read through the rest of the hymn, and we'll sing through the rest of the hymn in a moment, you find it's actually a description of Isaiah chapter 6, which you may remember is when the coal, the coal is brought down by the angel and touches the lips of Isaiah. It's his commissioning and the famous words, whom shall I send, and then uh, Isaiah stands up and says, uh, send me. It's a great call, call passage, and many people have been affected in, in, by it in their own call to ordination and other forms of work in the Lord's name. So we're going to remain seated. The voices will stand uh, 
and, and lead us as we sing Bright the Vision that delighted. Now we're going to hear uh, a couple of contrasting pieces uh, on the same theme of angels. The first factum uh, et silentium in Calo, which is very much of the vigorous and colorful branch of angelology. This is uh, a description from the book of Revelation in Latin because it's more violent that way, uh, that it describes the battle in heaven between Michael and the archangels. Now St. Michael uh, was identified as the lead archangel by St. Basil in the fifth century and has been so hence the festival of Michael and all angels um, and is referred to in Jude so quite well represented in the New Testament first mentioned as the protector of Israel in Daniel not to be mixed up with the Saint Michael that used to be the brand name of Marks and Spencer if you remember easily confused, uh, that, that St. Michael honored Michael Marks, the co-founder, not noted as a prominent archangel. 
then we're going to hear a very different piece by Judith Weir, text by William Blake. It's a Christmas carol called My Guardian Angel, first performed just up the road in the East End at Christchurch Spitalfields about 25 years ago. Uh, you may know that Judith Weir was the first woman to become the master of the Queen's music. She's now, of course, master of the King's music, uh, and she's been in that post since uh, 2014, so it's probably time for a new person to take up that post next year. Just wondering if any of you are looking at a change of career. It might be a good time to put your bids in. Let's enjoy these two pieces now. Thank you. 
Well, in 1993, John Taverner wrote a uh, piece of music called Song for Athene, and you might think from the title he'd taken his Greek Orthodox faith in an ultra-Greek direction and started writing odes to Greek gods, but you would be wrong. Uh, what occasioned this, uh, uh, this um, setting of words by his spiritual director, Mother Thecla, an Orthodox nun who lived in Whitby at the time, she's died since, uh, as has he, of course, uh, was uh, the death of a young woman called Athene Hariades, a young half-Greek actress who was killed in a cycling accident. And so he took Mother Thecla's words and he wrote an ode, a song uh, in her memory. He never published it in 1993. In fact, he didn't publish it till 1997. And as you'll be aware, another beautiful young woman full of talent died much too young in 1997. And this ode was then used dramatically at the climax of Princess Diana's funeral, which led to this being the most famous piece of music that Taverner ever wrote, which he would never have guessed since he didn't even bother to publish it for the first four years after he wrote it. Anyhow, it sounds like it's about a Greek goddess. In fact, it's about the angels receiving a young woman in heaven. We'll hear that in a few moments in an abbreviated form. Uh, and then we'll hear uh, one section of Gabriel Faure's um, Requiem Mass. Uh, he wrote his Requiem in D, in D minor between 1887 and 1890, and it went straight to the A-list of Requiem Masses up there with Mozart's Requiem uh, and the very top story. What was distinctive about it? Well, those of you who've been going to Latin Masses all your life will know that in Paradisum doesn't usually appear in the Latin Mass, uh, uh, the Requiem Mass. It's usually part of the, uh, the music for the burial and not for the actual funeral. So it was an innovation of Foray uh, to include it uh, and obviously we're very grateful he did. And again, if um, the Latin is a little bit beyond you, what's, uh, what's going on in the words is uh, that we envisage the angels guiding the dead to the holy city to join Lazarus. Who's Lazarus? He's the man mentioned in the parable about Dives and Lazarus, who is, who is seen at Abraham's bosom. So, uh, well done, Foray, for including an extra element in his Requiem Mass. Let's hear these two pieces now.
Well, after two of the most profoundly sad pieces of music in the repertoire, we're now going to sing a hymn called Come Let Us Join With Cheerful Songs. So do your best. Uh, it's quite a transition. Uh, this hymn was written by Isaac Watts, uh, perhaps along with Charles Wesley, the greatest hymn writer in our language, or in the English language, I should say. Um, why, what do we owe to him? Well, apart from writing 700 hymns, he broke the stranglehold of Calvinist metrical psalms that dominated church music in up to his era coming out of the Reformation. He was challenged by his father to say, if you, if you don't like them, you've got to do better. So 700 hymns later, we could say he pretty much fulfilled that challenge. He's, his depiction of angels is not the bang, crash, warlike kind. It's very much the gathered round the throne, we arrive in heaven, and there's the heavenly choir. That's very much Isaac Watts's much pleasanter image. And as a rather nice little compliment to the first hymn, which was written by the organist of All Saints Margaret Street, believe it or not, this tune was written by a former organist of Holy Trinity Brompton. How about that? We remain seated and the voices stand and lead us as we sing, come, let us join our cheerful songs. Well, we're coming towards the end of an extraordinary feast, even by great sacred music standards. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. If you have, there's various ways to make donations in cash with a swipe card as you leave, or on, online, or by text, or with one of these QR codes that you can find on the back of uh, the sheet. Do join us for on Sunday for our sister program, uh, Ave Verum Corpus, for the next Choral Classics and then the next Great Sacred Music World Food Day next Thursday at one o'clock. Uh, and talking of donations, it's through the generosity of people like yourselves and people who've been moved to philanthropy that we've been able to set up a composer in residence program, which we're very proud of. And Lucy Walker 
is the current occupant of that role, and it's been set up by people who think things like this are just great, and they want more of them, and they want more music to join the tradition of the amazing music we've heard so far uh, today. So we're going to hear a, a composition by Lucy Walker. Um, it's another Christmas carol, and it describes uh, the appearance of the heavenly host to the angels and shepherds, possibly the best-known appearance of all appearances of angels in the Bible. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> 